heard the story about an old uh, single man who had moved into a retirement community and soon met a single woman there, and they spent a lot of time together. Their friendship grew, and one day he finally proposed to her. He said, will you marry me? Well, the, the next morning he woke up and he, he had remembered his proposal, but in his old age he couldn't remember what she said. And so he tracked her down and he said, I, I'm, I'm just so embarrassed, I'm, I'm really embarrassed. I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. And she said, oh, thank goodness I remembered saying yes, but I forgot what you asked me. Old age is tough, I guess. You know, the Bible talks about old age. Some people think the Bible only talks about God or heaven or spiritual things, things that you can't see, things that uh, a lot of people uh, unfortunately never experience. And the Bible does talk about all those things, but it also talks about the common things of life. It talks about principles that can determine success or failure in this life, including things like business and personal relationships, marriage, family life, raising kids, community life. And that's what we're going to begin to study in this series. Of, we're going to begin a new series called Proverbs, Gear for Life. And no book ever written in all of the history of mankind has ever granted people more wisdom than the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs doesn't take us to church very often. Uh, God is not mentioned very often in the book of Proverbs. The assembly of God's people is not mentioned very often in the book of Proverbs. But God, uh, in His wisdom, granted us this book, and it takes us to other places. Proverbs takes us to our business place. It takes us to our schools. Proverbs takes us into our home, into our relationships with other people. Proverbs reminds us that faith is something that's lived out every day. Faith is not just lived out on Sunday mornings. And unfortunately, it's so easy to get into the trap of living as we want six days a week. And as soon as we hit the magic parking lot out there in the, uh, the church parking lot, we all of a sudden become... Christian, we put the smile on our face and we, we enter into a holy place and we enter that sweet fellowship with God's people and as soon as we leave after church on Sunday morning, uh, we go back to what we really want to be and what we really want to do, which is our own thing. Uh, Proverbs reminds us that our faith is something that we should take with us. It should impact every single part of our lives. God stands ready to give us wisdom from His Word to help us live as we ought. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. In Proverbs chapter 1, this is what Scripture says. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This book that we're going to begin looking at, the book of Proverbs, is entirely made up of individual sayings, these little proverbs like this. And what is a proverb? Well, a proverb is simply a, a short statement that is it, it's intended to help you think about its truthfulness and its application to your life. We have a lot of proverbs here in America, just American proverbs. You've, you've heard them. Look before you leap. Easy come, easy go. A penny saved is a penny earned. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Every society probably has proverbs of their own. The proverbs in this book, however, are short sayings that express God's timeless truth, His eternal truth, and His wisdom. Now, to be sure, many of them are bound in the time frame of the writer, many hundreds and even thousands of years ago. But behind those maybe culturally bound statements that we might have a little bit of difficulty initially relating to, there stands principles that relate to us because we are no more, no less human than the people who wrote, wrote these Proverbs. God's Word, again, is a treasure of life's wisdom that we should seek out. Now, Solomon is someone who wrote many of the Proverbs that we'll uh, look at in this book. Not all of them, but Solomon wrote many of them. Shortly after Solomon's father, King David of Israel, died, Solomon had a very unique experience with God. I want to read that experience. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. Scripture says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David my father according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. I'm going to stop right there and, and uh, just want to point out one thing that Solomon uh, does here that I think we, we could take note of, maybe learn something from. In Scripture, back in that day, generally speaking, when someone addressed someone of a higher authority, especially a king, and especially God, the king, they usually referred to themselves in third person, and they usually made this statement of themselves, that they are your servant. I am your servant. It was, it was an expression of Solomon not just saying, you've made me king in place of my father David. But instead he said, you've made your servant king. And so in that statement called your servant, it's a, it's a sign, it's a reminder to Solomon, and it's a statement to God that Solomon understands his place before the king, the true king, the God of Israel that he is nothing more than a servant. Here's Solomon, the king of all of, a, all, of a, all of a nation, something that none of us will likely ever experience, being the king of a nation, 
I mean, we would not, wouldn't even know what to do if God made us king of a nation. But Solomon was made king of this great nation, the nation which is actually the people of God. And Solomon says of himself, I'm your servant. And so it was a statement of humility. Let me go back and begin reading that again. He said, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, but you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. That was his request. Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. The next chapter in 1 Kings says this, Now, so now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment, and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. King Solomon was an incredibly wise man, wisdom given to him from God. And he wrote many of these Proverbs. In fact, Solomon wrote the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, and he wrote them to a particular person. He wrote them to his son. In fact, the word son or sons appears 49 times in the book of Proverbs. Look in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Look at what Solomon says. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 1. He writes, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. I hope you see a pattern here. Solomon is writing the wisdom of his heart on a piece of parchment 
parchment that has been translated into English, put in a book, a book that we have the privilege to read. Solomon has given his wisdom not only to his son, but to us. And I think that those of us that are fathers, whether we're young or, or old, whether our kids are still in the house or have moved out, uh, we can take some instruction from Solomon in this, that he serves as a model to how we should instill God's wisdom in our children. We should instruct our children in the ways of God. I want to say to you dads that it doesn't matter if your children are grown. Your voice carries weight. Your voice carries weight. Same is true for you moms, but I can't relate to that quite as well. Your voice carries weight, men. I remember when my dad had got me a 66 Ford Mustang and was rebuilding it with my help. My, my help, my part in the project was to find the uh, 3-8 wrench. You know, dad's part was to really do the work. But, uh, so I tried my best to help out, and it was going to be my car. And we were having some problems. He called his dad over, and my dad was getting very frustrated. So granddad came over, my dad's dad. And uh, Dad uh, was, like I said, growing frustrated. And my granddad, his dad, said to him, well, there's no sense in getting angry. And I had not yet to that point in my life ever seen my dad calm down quite as quickly as I saw him calm down that time. Why? It was his dad talking. When your dad talks, you listen. I think sometimes we may underestimate the importance of what we say to our kids, even if they're grown. Some men understand, understand this from uh, Solomon. We have opportunities when we speak to instill God's wisdom in our kids, and we should instruct them in the ways of God. If you're privileged enough to have grandchildren, instruct them in the ways of God. Young people, I would say this, that if you want to be wise beyond your years, if you want to be wiser, Scripture even says, wiser than your teachers, then become a student of God's Word. Read the Bible every day. Whatever day of the month it is, you can read that chapter of Proverbs. That's one of the great things about the Proverbs. There's 31 uh, chapters in it, 31 days in most of our months. You can read a chapter of Proverbs a day. And whatever day of the month it is, read that chapter in Proverbs, and you'll be blessed. You'll gain the wisdom of God if you read it with a humble heart. You know, the book of Proverbs has a dual purpose. It's written to give us wisdom and discernment. The first purpose of the book of Proverbs is to give you wisdom and instruction for godly living. Verse 2, it says, To know wisdom and instruction. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. That's the first reason the book of Proverbs was written. To give us wisdom and instruction for godly living. What is wisdom? We talk about it, but what is it? Wisdom is more than simply knowledge. You know, scientists today have so much more knowledge than they had even five years ago, much less 
500 years ago or 5,000 years ago. It's incredible how much knowledge we have that we have the technology now to look at the microscopic and the submicroscopic level of a human cell, one human cell, and be able to see and even manipulate DNA, that, that part of us that determines our hair color, that determines everything about who we are physically as a body. That's knowledge. That is knowledge. But wisdom can help scientists understand that only a loving, omnipotent creator could be behind such detail in life. Wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more than simply common sense. I mean, any fool can read a sign that says, Beware of dog, and understand what that means. Uh, but that's not exactly the same as God's wisdom. Someone who has God's wisdom will have common sense, but it goes deeper than that. Wisdom is the ability to succeed in life according to the eternal principles given to us by God. Wisdom is what is true and right combined with good judgment. You know, in the scientific age in which we live, everyone agrees that there are laws of nature that govern the universe, such as the laws of gravity. These laws cannot be broken. And just as God made the laws of nature for our own benefit, He also made moral laws that cannot be broken. We can try, we can try to violate them, but in the end we'll be the ones who become broken, not the laws. Verse 2 says that we can know wisdom and instruction. What's instruction? Instruction refers to training. It refers to discipline. Um, it, it reminds us that wisdom is not acquired cheaply or painlessly. It requires effort on our part. It requires submission on our part. A wise man, biblically speaking, will be a man who knows how to submit, not only to proper human authorities, but ultimately to God. Listen to these verses that I'm going to read that tell us at the cost of acquiring wisdom. Proverbs 3.11 says this, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son accepts his father's discipline but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Here's where so many of us fall short in our desire to acquire the wisdom of God. If you want to gain God's wisdom, you have to be willing to be rebuked, to be reproved. We see sometimes, unfortunately, especially in this age, that we live in, where everything goes. You can't tell me I did something wrong. And the brave pastor who has, the, who has taken upon himself the burden of reproving or rebuking a wayward church member will soon find that that church member is 
packed up and gone to another church. Very rare is the person, even the believer, very rare is the believer who receives reproof, receives rebuke, receives instruction in the way to live. But if we want God's wisdom, we have to be willing to admit that, you know what? You're right. I messed up. Thank you for telling me. Thank you to whoever told us on a human level, and thank you, God, for telling me. Because now I want to live better than that. The person who never accepts constructive criticism shuts the door on which wisdom knocks. Wisdom, to make it personified, wisdom's not rude. Wisdom knocks on the door of our heart. But we have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to learn. Gaining God's wisdom and instruction for godly living means that you receive wisdom and wise behavior and righteousness and justice and equity. Verse 3, when it talks about wise behavior, it simply means that you make good, God-honoring decisions. When you make wise decisions, you practice the qualities that God loves. What qualities? Verse 3 tells us those qualities. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Do you make good, godly decisions or not? Sometimes it's not that hard to do the right thing. Sometimes it's just not that hard to do the right thing. You just have to choose to do it. Sometimes you have to pay the price to do it. But to do the right thing. Whether people are watching or not, just to do the right thing. Righteousness see, involves seeing God's ideal for your life and rising up to that standard. Justice refers to social righteousness. It means that we're supposed to do right to one another. If we come up to God's standard in our personal righteousness, then we're going to have the right attitudes to have that carry over in our relationship with one another. It means that we need to be kind and compassionate and considerate. You know, I've become very convinced of uh, this thing, this dynamic that uh, I see occurring in our society. There, there's such a, a, a wall of uh, hostility toward Christians. Uh, from different groups in society. And as an example, the LGBT uh, society. Uh, very hostile toward Bible-believing Christians. And in fairness, some of that hostility uh, goes the other way as well. One of the values of the LGBT uh, group or society um, one of the things that they value most is they don't want anyone to tell them they're wrong. We understand that. And that goes against what Scripture says, uh, that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Um, but coupled with that, I think we need to remember as Christians, people are, uh, they want us to be kind. They want us to be compassionate. 
not to be ugly to them, not to be harsh, not to be mean-spirited, not to make jokes at their expense. And I think that's where, if, if we do anything wrong, it's not that we have told people wrong doctrine, but we fail to gain a foothold or an audience if we're mean-spirited in what we do and the way we say things. And so we need, to, we need to be wise about that. Social righteousness on our part requires that even if we disagree with someone, even if we think someone is headed to a different eternity than ourselves, treat them with kindness. Treat them with kindness. Equity is that third word that we find in verse 3. It's concerned with fair play. We have to be honest with people. Do the right thing. Treat people without prejudice. Sometimes it's hard. Someone hurts you. You want to take it out on anyone else that sort of reminds you of them. But we have to overcome that. We have to treat people without judging them beforehand. Gaining God's wisdom and instruction for godly living means that you'll go beyond your contemporaries. Verse 4 says, Give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion. Young people are not typically known for being wise, to having God's knowledge and discretion. Naive people, people that are sort of simplest akin, and you might even say, well, they're, you know, God bless him, he's just not that bright. Well, maybe not. Who knows? It's the Lord who uh, grants a person whatever intelligence or lack of intelligence they might have. But that's not so important. It's not so important how intelligent you are. It's not so important what you look like either. What I think is more important is that we have God's wisdom. And if you are a simple-minded person. You can have God's wisdom just as much as someone that's very brilliant. If you're naive, if you're weak-willed, and in your heart of hearts you'd, you'd admit that you're easily susceptible to good or bad influences, listening to the book of Proverbs will make you prudent. It's going to make you shrewd. It's going to give you wisdom. You'll have the wisdom to escape the entrapments of other people. Even if you're young, you can become knowledgeable and have discernment. Young people don't have the experience needed to encounter this world successfully. There are too many things flying at them from every direction for a young person to handle all of that accurately and not damage themselves unless they have a, root, a rooting in the Word of God. Now the second purpose of the book of Proverbs is to give you discernment. Verse two, second part of verse 2 says that, to discern the sayings of understanding. And the writer of Proverbs expands on that in verses 5 and 6. It says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a wise man, excuse me, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. This means you'll have the ability to analyze and to have the discernment to see behind the things that are out there, to read between the lines 
when you encounter things in society, things in your own life. You'll have the discrimination to make decisions in the light of that. Have you ever, under, have you ever questioned why some people are able to understand the Bible really well? Well, it's probably because they've, they've learned how to be students of God's Word. You see, the more you study God's Word, not only do, do you become more knowledgeable about it, but you increase your ability to acquire the wisdom that comes from God. I'll, I'll be very honest with you, with you. The person that never reads or never understands or never listens to the Word of God, that person will never truly become wise. Not in God's way. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul commends Timothy for knowing God's Word. He says, From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning. I hope you never stop learning. I hope you never stop learning. Increase your learning by knowing the truth about God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse 5 continues. It says that a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Wise counsel. Do you know what that uh, literally says? He will know the ropes. He will know the ropes. The ropes are that which steers the animal. It tells the animal where to go. And a wise rider on a horse or a wise rider uh, behind an oxen will know exactly how to pull the ropes. I guarantee if you put me on a horse today and had me try to steer that horse, I would probably fall off within five minutes. I've been on a horse, I think, twice in my life. I don't know the ropes. I don't know how hard or how gently to pull, how much to pull back at the same time. I might tell the, the horse the wrong thing. He might take off. I don't know. I don't know the ropes when it comes to riding a horse. But a wise man will be able to know the ropes of life. Verse 6 says, To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. This means that you'll be able to resolve or adjust the ambiguities of life. You'll be able to see the reality behind the appearances. You know, I, I often hear of some Christians saying something like this. You know, people at my workplace, they come to me. People at my school, they come to me with their problems because they, and I, if I ask why, well, they know I care about them, and they think that I can help them. Well, something has gone on in the years, the months, in your life where you have conveyed that idea. People have picked up on that. They understand. They look at you. People are always watching. People are always watching. They're watching you. 
And the reason they come to you is likely because you've begun that quest of acquiring God's wisdom, whether you'd put it in those terms or not. But whatever you do, don't stop reading God's Word. It has a, it has a tremendous effect that spreads out from you wherever you go when you don't even know it. So how do you begin experiencing the wisdom that comes from God? Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What's the fear of the Lord? It is a submissive reverence to God. It's an understanding that God is God. That He is all-powerful. That He holds your life in His hands. We are to come before God in awe because of who He is and what He does. When we look at ourselves, we see ourselves as, as sinful and we see Him as holy. And we need to remember that all gracious things, especially the gracious act that God did in bringing Himself to us in human form in Jesus Christ. The gracious act of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, restoring us to God if we believe in Him, being raised from the dead and promising to us that that will be our end as well, that we'll be raised from the dead as well. If we believe in Him, we think about God and we're submissive to Him. We have the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the relationship with the Creator God. Knowledge is basically a relationship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not just head knowledge, but real knowledge. The Bible says that Adam knew Eve. It didn't mean that he gave her an IQ test. It means that he knew her in the most intimate of ways. They experienced the closest of human relationships. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It doesn't matter how much you know about God, you've got to know God. And that type of knowledge has to be experienced. It's to be lived out in our lives. And so if you want God's wisdom to live out your life, you've got to have that personal relationship with Him. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, don't lose that sense of awe that you have of God. And if you've lost it, you need to recapture it. You need to spend some time contemplating and remembering who God is and how blessed you are to have received His forgiveness. Romans 1.17 says, The righteous man shall live by faith. Have faith in God. But there's a warning here in verse 7. The warning is to fools. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You're going to see the word fool a lot when you read the book of Proverbs. Let me tell you what a fool is not. A fool is not someone lacking intelligence. That's not a fool. A fool is not someone who's just a, well, he's just a couple of bricks short of a load. His elevator doesn't go up to the top floor. That person's not a fool. A fool is not someone who's just a few fries short of a Happy Meal or whatever other kind of saying we want to have. A little light in the loafers. He's not the guy who has signs on both ears saying space for rent. That's not a fool. 
That may be someone who's a little light on intelligence, but that's not what Proverbs is talking about when it says a fool. A fool is someone who doesn't follow God's ways. And I don't care if that fool is Einstein, Stephen Hawking, or every genius you could think of. If a person doesn't follow God's ways, that person's a fool. A fool is someone who's obstinate and stubborn when it comes to believing God. And the root of a fool's foolishness is not mental. It is spiritual. Why? Because he begins by rejecting the fear of the Lord. He determines to go his own way. And he closes his mind to God now I know that's not true of you I hope that today you'll make the wise decision in being a person that's fearful of the Lord and it begins with having that relationship with him